Well, as uh, Tim read just a couple of minutes ago, uh, you saw that the early church, if you can see in the scriptures there, you saw that the early church was devoted. In the very first set of verses there, verse 42 on, the scriptures say that the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So every time the apostles would get up and teach, what did the church do? They listened, right? And then when they listened, they actually went out and did what the apostles instructed them to do. So they learned from the apostles' teaching, and then they actually put it into action, and they did something with it. The scripture says that the early church devoted themselves to that teaching and to what? To fellowship. Now, what is fellowship? Fellowship is kind of a churchy word, right? What does it mean to have fellowship? Well, it's kind of like the old English word fellows. It's kind of like being brothers, brothers from other mothers and sisters, brothers and sisters together in the faith. So God has called us together to be a family, brothers and sisters in the faith, and that is under the auspices of being devoted to the teaching of God. So that's why when you come to Trinity South Naperville or any of our other campuses, any of our other sites, you're going to hear a predominant presence of the Word of God. You're going to hear the Word of God from beginning to end. And that's a promise from us to you. Our job is to be beholden to the Word of God and to bring it to you in such a way that you can understand it and sink your teeth into it and together as a family of God, go away with it and actually do something with it so that the Word of God is living and active in your life. What else did the family do? They were devoted to the breaking of bread, which some scholars believe refers to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. That's where we break bread and we give out wine. And while this could be a good snack, there's more to it than that. We believe that it is the body and blood of our Lord Jesus. And it comes to strengthen us and to forgive our sins again through that sacrament, which is why we do it here every week unless we have a baptism. And then what was the last piece? The last piece is prayer. So after we wrap up the message today, we're going to have a section called Prayers of the Church. Prayers of the Church is where we give the microphone to you and let you do 20 and 30 second prayers on whatever's in your heart. Or if you'd like to look over at the prayer board over to your right, you'll see people have written the names of folks who need prayer. So we will stop and actually engage in that kind of activity. But when the early church was doing this 2,000 years ago, here's what happened. The scripture says everyone was filled with what? With awe. So this is what makes church different from a social gathering. Where the church gets together in the name of Jesus, engages in these spiritual disciplines, the Holy Spirit is there with them, is teaching people, leading them, and changing their lives. And so you're going to see things happen in your lives that are awesome. You're going to hear things from people in the debrief time and when you're having coffee and donuts before and after that are awesome. As we bind together around the Holy Spirit and live together as the church, we're going to see things that are full of awe, things that change our lives. Maybe it's a conversation we had during the week where God made an impression on us. Maybe it's something that happened to us during the week that got our attention. Maybe when we were at work and something happened miraculously that we can't explain. 
Maybe that was God speaking. Maybe that was designed to catch our attention and to inspire awe in us. That is what makes us different from a social gathering where we would just simply get together and eat and have fun together, which is a fun thing to do. But this gathering, this purposeful meeting of the whole church has some component to it that's different. And it's the presence of the Holy Spirit who does miracles and inspires awe. Think about the last time you experienced awe in your life. Maybe it was the time you went on vacation. Maybe you went to Disney World and you saw the castle for the first time and looked up at it like this and was like, wow, that's amazing. That's the kind of awe that scratches the surface of God's awesomeness, the kind that he means to share with us. So take a look back at the scriptures at this awe and the many wonders and signs that were performed by the apostles. Look at verse 44 in particular. The scripture says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Notice who did the adding of the numbers of people. God is the one who does that, right? If we simply are engaging in these spiritual disciplines that God has taught us through the Word, and the Holy Spirit is dwelling here with us, we don't have to worry about impressing you or anyone else. You don't have to come here seeking to be impressed because God is the one who will impress upon your heart what He wants you to know, what He wants you to experience, what He wants you to feel, and the awe that He has called you to have in Him. He will provide that. We don't have to fight for that. We don't have to compete for that. We don't have to dig for that. We can meet in an ordinary old school building just like this, and we can have whatever multimedia is present or not, and still be at awe with God, can we not? So today in particular, we're going to study a little bit about how that first church was brought into an awesome family experience together as a community. The scripture says in uh, verse 45, look at that with me really quick. This verse might make you nervous if you've been in Christian churches for a while. It might make you nervous because this verse has been taught in all kinds of different ways in the church in its history with the idea that it has specific instructions for you and me. Now listen to the verse again. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Now what does that verse say to you? Does that verse say to you that we should be forming a compound here at Burkett Freshman Center. We should sell all our possessions, we should buy a Winnebago, and live together in the Winnebago, peace and love, and selling every kind of material possession we have, and owning nothing in this world. Does that sound like that would work in today's world? No. And in fact, it didn't work in their world either. 
So if you read it that way, that they sold all their possessions and they gathered together in a field somewhere and they just lived there under a tent, that's not true. That's not what happened. What happened was, is you found people separating from their families and forming a new family. The reason they would separate from their families is because if their families did not receive the new faith, then they had to make a call. They gathered together with others who received that new faith in Jesus and formed a family. Does that mean that we need to strategically separate from our own families and just rely on each other's family? Absolutely not. It didn't mean that back then either. But back then, if members of their family didn't receive Jesus and didn't receive the new faith, then they had to find community somewhere. They had to find family somewhere. Because back then, families supported each other and helped each other provide food and shelter. And so when someone started to follow Jesus, and if their family members did not agree, then they needed to find other Jesus followers in order to bind together with and form community and family with. And in fact, that's what they did. The scripture says that they sold possessions to give to anyone who had need. So what was happening was, these people were carrying on with their normal everyday lives, and when they found out that a brother or sister in the faith had a physical need, then these people would sell something in order to produce income to share with the person who had a physical need. They didn't sell all their stuff. They just found something that they didn't need and sold it so that they could share that resource with the person who had a need. And so what you found is this community of people who were taking care of each other the same way family is supposed to take care of each other. Now think about your own family for a minute. When you got up this morning, if you have family in the house, what did you do? Name some things that you did this morning. First thing. Stephanie? She made coffee. I agree, amen and amen. Coffee comes number one, right? What else? Made some breakfast, like what? Got the eggs. Did you put cheese in your eggs? I did, amen and amen. What else? What else did you do? Say good morning? Yes, what else? Time to get on up out of bed, right? Time to get up and get going to worship. What else did you do? Did you give a hug and a kiss to somebody? Maybe a good morning hug or kiss, right? You treated each other with love and took care of each other in a physical way, didn't you? This is how the church is called to behave when people have need. And if you think about it for a second, if we were bold enough to share a need in this fellowship right here, if we were bold enough to share a need in this fellowship, we welcome the multimedia back, right? <laughs> we would give to that person not because we felt like we had to, but how? Because we wanted to. Just like when I get up in the morning, I make scrambled eggs. I don't do that because somebody's forcing me to. I do that because my family likes to eat, at least some of my family likes to eat scrambled eggs. So I do it because I want to do it. It was the same way back in the early church. They began to form together an alliance so that they could take care of each other's physical needs. And so what does that mean for you and me today? For you and me today, that literally looks like this. 
It looks like us running into the cross of Christ, having our hearts changed by the Holy Spirit, where now I am no longer oriented toward myself and just my own needs. Now, my own needs mean something. They mean something to God, and they mean something to me, and they mean something to those who care about me. But God has also called us to live in such a way that we are aware of the needs of others. And so God has called us to a heart change. We move away from an orientation that's focused mainly on myself to an orientation that's focused on others. And it's kind of like when you see the two people on the screen there, there's a reciprocal relationship going on. What's happening in a love relationship is that someone is giving and another is receiving and the other was giving and the, and the first one is receiving. There's a reciprocal nature to the relationship. Whereas if only one person is giving and the other one's receiving, what do you call that? A one-sided relationship. Now, don't raise your hand at this. It's rhetorical. But have you ever been in a one-sided relationship before? Not fun. You're constantly waiting for the other person to meet you in the middle, to reciprocate. And that's not a fun kind of relationship to be in, right? When you're only on the receiving end or such. So the church is designed to be the kind of environment where needs are shared and met amongst the family of God. And primarily one of the ways that works is by gathering us together in community, by doing this on a weekly basis, on a regular basis. And as we do that, as we gather together, we share not only our presence, but we share what God has given us in terms of our gifts. Our gifts are the ability to smile, the ability to hug somebody who needs a hug, the ability to sit and listen to someone who's sharing something, which is why we practice that skill in the debrief section, the ability to offer a 20-second prayer for someone who's in need, which is why we do the prayers of the church and practice that skill right here on Sunday mornings. And also, we have the opportunity to share gifts financially. Now, if you've been in the church for a while, you've heard the concept of the tithe taught before. What is a tithe? It is one-tenth. Let me ask you a question, especially if you're an accountant. Are there any, account any accountants in the room? No? No hands being raised enthusiastically, right? No? Okay. If, is it gross? 10% of your gross income or is it 10% of your net income? Well, some say gross and some say net. I don't think God cares. Here's why. Let me show you. Take a look at the scripture. In fact, I'm going to back up and let you read it with me. Will you do that? Starting in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9. 1, 2, 3. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now notice what that scripture doesn't say. That scripture doesn't say that they're talking about money. The first church didn't necessarily just share money. 
Sometimes they sold possessions and generated money and shared that. But sometimes they were just simply there for each other. And the idea of giving in the American church in a lot of ways gets compartmentalized where people believe that the church is after our money. The church is here to request 10% of my income, whether it's gross income or net. And again, I'm not sure that God cares about that. If you look at this passage, what do you see happening? You see a change of heart happening. And as that change of heart happens, what flows from that change of heart? Resources that are shared generously. So at no time in your experience should the church ever approach you and say you should give 10%. You ought to give 10%. And if you're not giving 10%, then bad Christian. The church should never say that to you. And if you're ever in a church that says that to you, get up and very politely head for the back door. That is not what we're about. That is not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about a change of heart. And from that change of heart flows giving. For God so loved the world that he did what? Did. He gave his only begotten son, right? And it was God's love that gave that son. It was not God feeling forced to give his son under compulsion. Compulsion is when you're like, weighed down with guilt and you're like if I don't give this this week man I'm a bad Christian I should just resign that's not what this is about what this is about is the idea that God is after your heart and when he has your heart he changes where your resources go that's all it is when God changes your heart he changes where your resources go in the American church, the reason why we pass around a collection plate is for two reasons. In this particular fellowship, we pass it around so that if you had the opportunity to pre-decide giving to your own congregation, then you can write a check or put some cash in an envelope and drop it in that plate, and that's your offering. The second reason is to collect your connect cards and prayer cards so that we can be in touch with you and Keep our finger on the pulse of the congregation. But you could just as easily go on your bank's website and program the specific amount of money to come into Trinity Lutheran Church every single week if you want. You don't have to put something in the basket. The basket is one way to give and to share resources, right? But the most important thing, I want you to hear very clearly, the most important thing is not how much you give. It is not how much you give. The most important thing is your heart. Who has your heart? Does God have it? If God has your heart, then the Holy Spirit will inspire and lead you to give. It's going to happen to you. If it's never happened to you before, don't be surprised when it happens. Because God will engender in you a giving spirit if he hasn't already. Now, I would suggest by the mere fact that you guys are sitting in a public school in chairs that could certainly be more comfortable, 
in settings that could certainly be more consumeristic, that you are not here to consume. You are here to give. And I know that knowing the people in this room. So hear today's message as inspiring and encouraging. You are not called to give under compulsion. When you share of yourself, which includes your time, talents, and what? Treasures. When you give of yourself, it's because you've been inspired by the Holy Spirit. It should never be because you're guilted into giving. Now, I want you to hear me 1,000%. From today and from this day forward, whenever you are asked to give, that asking is a call to the inspiration that is already in you. It is a call to the work of the Holy Spirit that is already in you. And the Holy Spirit probably already has a giving plan planted in you. Maybe it's tithing. Maybe you're tithing net. Maybe you're tithing gross. Maybe you're contributing more than a tithe. Maybe you're contributing no money at all, but are showing up and serving, or serving in your community or in your neighborhood. Maybe you're giving 1%. And to all that I say, praise God and praise God. If you're giving 1% and the Holy Spirit's inspiring you to move to 2%, then move in that direction by the glory of God and by His power. If you're giving 2% and He inspires you to move to 2.5%, praise God for that. If you're giving nothing at all, but showing up and hearing the Word of God, knowing that God will carry you through financial trouble, then praise God for that. And if you're giving 40%, praise God for that. We are all beholden to our Lord for His gift of Jesus Christ. And that is all He wants for us, is to know that He wants our heart now and forever. And the nature of that beholdenness is simply in love, not in compulsion to do or to give. God wants you, not your money. He wants you. And when He has you, you will start to share some of that resource that He has entrusted to you while you're here on earth. Does this make sense to folks? It's not really that hard. It's not nearly as hard as the American church makes it. So look at these words, and seriously, not making up these concepts. These words are in the scripture. We are not to give reluctantly or under compulsion. You, you see that clearly, right? But God loves what? It's not that he doesn't love a cheerful giver. He simply has more compassion on someone who is giving because they feel guilty. That was never his design. Do you hear what I'm saying? Amen? Yeah? So as you're inspired to give, let the Holy Spirit drive that. Understanding that there may be a season in your life where you can't give money, but you can give of your time and your talent. Or there may be a season in your life where you're giving 30% to the church, but you're giving none of your time or talents. The church is missing you if that's the case. The church doesn't require you to do it. 
The church calls you to it in love because we know what God has made us for. He's made us to receive the good news of Jesus that He died for us on the cross and rose again from the grave and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty interceding for you and me every day and He doesn't just leave us be here on earth. He calls us into action. And that action is what we were meant to do. That person is who we were meant to be. One who's inspired to give of him or herself and does so cheerfully. So I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be uplifted. Right? I want your heart to hear this message and to feel that God loves you. Do you feel that today? I pray you do. Would you pray with me? And we'll close. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for the message of encouragement and the study of your early church in the Word. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to freely explore you without the compulsion to pay for it. Because God, you have paid everything that is required. We don't need to pay anything for our faith or our salvation. It's been done for us. And the Word is here to simply free us from the compulsion of guilty giving. We are free of those chains in the name of Jesus. And God has called us and inspired us to live a generous life. So God, whether I'm a 1% giver, a 10% giver, or a 90% giver today, I know that you want all of me. I know that you will clarify for me what you'd like for me to give. That you, you will use the community of God's people and the Word of God to show me the way. And I need to relax and not be so uptight about this subject because I know you have already provided what you want me to give. So be with me in generosity as with all other aspects of my faith. I pray this God in the name of Jesus who is so generous with himself that he didn't hold back anything, not his body, nor his blood, nor any part of his life. It's in your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen. Would you stand and let's join together and do some worship together.